Warning. Wicked wanderers may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Wanderers, and welcome to Wicked Wanderers Podcast. I'm your Wicked Hostess, Jacqueline. Hopefully, everybody had a wonderful weekend and went on a adventure and has a wonderful Monday and rest of their week. If you are new to this podcast, each week we travel to a different destination. I discuss a haunted place, some dark tourism, as well as some fun things to do while we are there. So pack your bags. We're going to New Jersey, aka the armpit of America. New Jersey is situated in both the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeastern regions of the United States. It has over 130 miles of beaches, entertaining boardwalks, great food, and it's filled with history. Before we get to our first destination, here are some fun facts and strange laws in New Jersey. New Jersey is the garden state. If you plan on driving your horse with a sleigh or a sled on the highway, you better make sure it has enough bells on it. Forget headlights. We need to hear you, not see you. If you plan on buying a car in New Jersey, don't do it on Sundays. They're not open. I guess everybody needs a day off. Planning on having a party in Mount Laurel? Make sure you don't get too drunk and annoy your party guests because it's illegal to do so. I agree with this law. I was a bartender for seven years and drunk people are interesting. Don't frown at a cop. It's illegal. And in the town of Bernard, it's illegal to frown in general. Well, I wouldn't do very well there since I have resting bitch face. Do you love your awesome custom license plate? Well, don't drink and drive. If you get convicted of driving under the influence, you will no longer be allowed to have it. Don't plant trees along the street in Blairstown. It will obscure the air and it's illegal. Well, this makes absolutely no sense since trees produce oxygen, so I feel like whoever came up with this law is an idiot. Do you love soup? Better make sure you only slurp your soup at home. It's illegal to do so in public. Don't eat pickles in Trenton on Sundays, and also don't toss it out on the road. It's illegal to do so. Do you love ice cream? 
Well, make sure you eat it before 6 p.m. in Newark. It's illegal to eat it after 6 p.m. without a doctor's note. Well, I love ice cream, so my doctor would be writing me a prescription. Birds are not allowed to poop on statues. Not sure how they can enforce this. Is there a bird jail? Just imagine a little bird with some handcuffs on getting in the back of a police car for pooping on a statue. Are you a man that loves to knit? Don't do it during fishing season. If you plan on going to the zoo in Manville, don't give the animals drugs or alcohol. It's illegal. Don't fuck with the animals. You cannot pump your own gas. I would love for somebody to pump my gas, especially when it's raining. That sounds great. New Jersey is known to have the most diners. Saltwater taffy came from Jersey. New Jersey sure does have some strange laws and fun things about it. And now on to our first destination, which is in Syracuse, New Jersey. We are going to this Snake Hill Asylum and Pottersfield Burial Ground. In the marshlands stands Snake Hill. According to legend, it gained its name from all the snakes that inhabited the area. But don't worry, there aren't very many snakes left there. In 1962, Snake Hill's name was changed to Laurel Hill and is now located in Laurel Hill Park. Locals also call it Graffiti Rock due to all the frat houses spray-painting their logos on it. A fun fact is, the rock is the inspiration to Prudential's financial rock logo. The rock has been home to several different places throughout history. It is most famous for being a psychiatric hospital. The old lunatic asylum, which existed from 1873 through 1939. That is a long ass time. The asylum was on a hill surrounded by a swamp and it looked like something out of a Dracula movie. And as we know, good things did not happen in these places. This was known as the place of no return. Even sane people were admitted and not allowed to leave. Oh, the times when your wife made you angry, you just checked her into the asylum, or if your parents got too old, you couldn't handle it or pay for them, you just checked them right in. Absolutely awful. Anyone could sign someone in and that is so scary. There were healthy people with no issues there. To be able to leave, you needed three doctors to sign off on your release, which rarely happened. It was only supposed to house 148 people. By the time it closed, there was 1,000 872 people. That's a big jump. 
from 148. I don't even know how they could fit that many people in there. Insulin and metrazole shock were used to treat schizophrenics. Insulin shock therapy was when they would inject you with a large dose of insulin. This would put patients in a coma and would be done over several weeks. This really didn't help any of the patients. Success rates weren't high. And if it did help the patients, they typically would relapse. This type of therapy can cause death, brain damage, obesity, or the patients just wouldn't wake up out of their coma. And that happened a lot. The asylum housed both men and women. Thankfully, there were separate areas. Each room had several beds in it, and I can imagine how deplorable the conditions were in there. In the 1930s, they changed the name to Mental Disease Hospital, so it would sound more appealing. No, it still sounds pretty horrifying. Next to the asylum was a burial ground for the patients and the poor known as a potter's field. It is now known as the Hudson County Burial Grounds. In 1939, the asylum closed and patients were moved to the Meadowview Psychiatric Hospital. Snake Hill didn't just have an asylum on the property. Throughout time, there were several different facilities, including a penitentiary, shelters for the poor and elderly, a contagious disease hospital, and a tuberculosis sanatorium. After closing, it was used as a rock quarry until the 1950s. Eventually, the hill was leveled for the original construction of the New Jersey Turnpike. At least 434 bodies were exhumed during the 20th century and 78 were relocated. So what the fuck happened with the rest of the bodies? Because 434 does not equal 78. In the 1970s, John Marion, the morgue superintendent, was accused along with several associates of pocketing the proceeds of $40,000 to relocate the dead at Snake Hill. He supposedly used inmates and Hudson County road crews to do the work instead of hiring legitimate contractors. John died while sentencing for yet another burial scheme that he was involved in. It is said that the workers removed the headstones and left the bodies behind. How could you do this to people? Those are fathers, sons, mothers, grandmothers, and daughters. These people had families. Years later, the Turnpike Authority discovered more bodies, and by law, they were required to remove them and put them elsewhere. It was also required 
that they try to find the dead's families. Turnpike authorities said there were about 900 bodies in the area where the interstate was going to be. After excavating a chunk of the meadows, 4,571 bodies were found and more than 100,000 artifacts. But it is estimated to have at least 10,000 bodies out there. Graves turned up right next to the turnpike, and in July 2003, it was ruled that archaeologists were not allowed to dig beneath the turnpike embankment. So there are bodies underneath the turnpike. What the fuck? Archaeologists weren't allowed to go outside a certain area, so it is unknown what else is out there. A park would be built on the land not used by the turnpike. Again, there are still bodies there. It is said that the park is haunted. Well, no fucking shit. Again, still dead bodies. Apparitions of former patients, staff, and prisoners have been seen. Shadow figures in the dark and dark energy can be felt, especially at nighttime. Cold and hot spots, light anomalies, and a mysterious mist has been reported. Reports of time slips where the massive complex is seen as it was back in the day. Disembodied voices, screams, crying, and whimpers have been heard. People have said to experience headaches and the feeling of being watched. Before the old buildings were demolished, there were reports of seeing people in the windows and unusual sounds were heard coming from the building. The park is actually really nice. They have a basketball court, football, and soccer fields. There is also a cricket field and batting cages picnic areas, a boat dock with a boat launch. You can rent a kayak and fish out there or enjoy the views of the marshland. You can spend the whole day there. But make sure you keep an eye out for ghosts. And don't forget, while you're at the park, you don't know what's buried underneath you and what bodies you may be stepping on. While we're in New Jersey, here are some fun and unique places to go to. Go to the Sterling Hill Mining Museum. I'm not huge into museums. Maybe the Museum of Torture. I did go to the Alcatraz Museum in Tennessee, which was pretty cool. But I really love this one. I love rocks and crystals. Visit the mine and take a guided tour. Learn about the geology in the area, which has a lot of fluorescent minerals. There is the Rainbow Tunnel, which is an area of the mine where the wall is intensely fluorescent zinc ore, which is exposed to ultraviolet light, and it makes the wall glow bright green and red. You can dig for your own rock and minerals. In the mine run dump area, there are two main sections, the international pile and the local pile. 
The international pile has minerals from all over the world, but the local pile contains hundreds of tons of high-grade zinc ore. You can get your own fluorescent minerals. There is also the Warren Museum of Fluorescence, which is a museum that also has a colored wall, a 16-foot wide floor-to-ceiling display of 100 fluorescent mineral specimens. There is also an observatory and discovery center with fossils. This is a great educational place to take your kids and you can spend a whole day there. It is located at 30 Plant Street, Ogensburg, New Jersey. Our next stop is the Grounds for Sculpture in Hamilton Township. This is a park made out of sculptures. The 42-acre park is filled with sculptures you do not see every day. An article from Atlas Obscura says the following. A fairy pathway through silvery thin trees. There's orange tips burning under an amethyst sky. A woman clutching a parasol on a hill of plastic poppies. Red as flowers in dreams. These are just some of the sites you'll find at Grounds for Sculpture. There are also exhibits inside. There is a cafe, a gift shop, and a museum. There is a gourmet restaurant called Rats, named after the children's book Wind in the Willows. This place has amazing views of a Monet-inspired sculpture garden. So eat some amazing French food that is made with local produce. Always support local. This one is one of my favorites. South Mountain Fairy Trail. I love fairies. And I love hiking. It's an easy, magical half-a-mile trail with fairy homes secretly tucked into the natural landscape. These fairy houses are all made by a local artist and founder of the fairy trail, Therese Ojibwe. A quote from the South Mountain website states the following. This half-mile trail has been inhabited by fairies. As you walk along the white blazed path, look carefully and you will find where they have chosen to live. Fairies build their homes in tree hollows and roots, or from natural materials. Fairy houses are delicate, so be gentle and try not to disturb any fairies that may be inside. This makes me so happy. What a magical thing to do. Especially if you have kids. That's just so cool. Get the kids to use their imaginations and not a freaking tablet, iPad, or a smartphone. You know, like what we had to do back in the day. Park at the Locust Grove parking lot in Milburn, across the street from the Milburn Library. The address is 197 Glen Ave in Milburn. Our next stop is the Man Eater Mural. This is the site of the New Jersey shark attacks of 1916. And this place is the inspiration of Jaws. 
1916, a series of shark attacks happened for 12 days that killed four people. I'm just surprised I don't know about this. I mean, this is freaking crazy. The attacks were in Beach Haven in Spring Lake. Yes, a freshwater lake. Now, most sharks can't go into brackish water, but I know for a fact that bull sharks can. The freshwater lake was also pretty far inland and not shark territory. The shark was caught. And to verify that it was the killer shark, they opened it up. 15 pounds of human remains were found. That is fucking crazy. Imagine being that person cutting open that shark and all these body parts just come flying at you. Ugh. And as I said before, the only sharks that can typically go into brackish water and freshwater are bull sharks. And this shark was indeed a bull shark. I'm not worried about sharks in the ocean. It's just that bull sharks are super aggressive. And the fact that they can go into freshwater makes it a little bit more intense. Odd that Jaws was based on a great white shark. Side note about sharks, great whites don't typically attack humans, and they also do this thing where they will bite you, and pretty much they're taking a taste bite to see if they like the way that you taste. Or they bit you in an area, and they're just waiting for you to bleed out. Pretty terrifying. The site where the shark attack occurred is marked by a painted shark, and there are two memorials in the town of Matawan. It's pretty fucking cool. Our last stop before our final destination is Holston's Brookdale Confectionery, located at 1063 Broad Street in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Some may recognize this place as the controversial final scene of the Sopranos. But that is nothing compared to all the nostalgic childhood favorites that are served here. This place is adorable. It's an old-fashioned building, and it looks like a place you would go to in the 50s. There's cool ice cream bar stools, iconic red vinyl booths, and glass cases for the candy. A blast from the past. The owners like to keep it old-fashioned and make everything themselves. Homemade ice cream, milkshakes, burgers, fries, homemade chocolate, and now I'm super hungry. I just want to buy some stuff from there. And now it is time for my favorite part. Let's get Wicked. Our final destination is Sybil's Cave. Created in 1832 by the Stevens family as a folly on their property that contained a natural spring, which is called Sybil's Cave. It's the oldest man made structure in Hoboken. The cave is 18 feet deep. And who 
doesn't love a natural underground spring. There's even an elaborate Gothic-style entrance. People used to come and get water from here, believing it had therapeutic properties. Sounds pretty amazing. It's even the inspiration of Edgar Allan Poe's crime in the mystery of Marie Roget. It is also the place where the still unsolved murder of Mary Rogers took place. Mary Rogers was born in 1820 in Lyme, Connecticut. At the age of 17, Mary lost her father, James Rogers, after an explosion happened on the steamboat he worked on. At the age of 20, Mary blossomed into a very beautiful woman. I'm talking about she was talk of the town pretty. Her beauty brought the many opportunities that she had. She worked at a tobacco store in New York owned by a man named John Anderson. And Anderson paid Mary very well, especially compared to all the other women because she was so pretty. Mary was just hot as fuck. Her good looks brought in a lot of customers. These guys would come in and spend all day just to look at her. That's so fucking creepy. One man even wrote a poem and had it published in the New York Herald about Mary. So let's just say she had a lot of attention and plenty of admirers. So let's just say she got plenty of attention. Mary was reported missing on July 5, 1838. On July 2nd, Mary told her fiancé, Donald Payne, she'd be visiting her aunt and family in New Jersey and that she would be back the next day. But Mary did not return. The night Mary left, there was a severe storm, so of course her mother assumed that she had gotten delayed. But after the following day, and still no Mary, she was very concerned. She was so concerned, she put an article in the sun asking if anyone had seen her. The next day, Mary would be found. Two men found the body of beautiful Mary floating in the Hudson River at Sybil Cave. Her fiancé had to identify the body. The coroner said her dress and hat were torn and her body looked like she had been beaten. The coroner also noted she was not pregnant and had been a person of chastity a.k.a. a virgin. Everyone lost it. Newspapers went crazy over Mary, calling her the beautiful cigar girl, and she got national attention. They wrote in graphic detail about the state of her body, had pictures of it, and there were intense theories about what her killer or killers may have done to her. 
Of course, her fiancé, Daniel, was a suspect, even though he had an airtight alibi. The newspapers were relentlessly accusing him. Of course, the police didn't have anything, and Daniel didn't kill Mary. So a new theory was brought up. They said she was caught by a gang of criminals. There were two local boys that were in the woods collecting sassafras for their mother, and they stumbled upon women's clothing that had been there for at least three to four weeks. A scarf and a petticoat were crumpled up like a struggle had occurred. But the credible item was a handkerchief embroidered with initials M.R. The mother of the two sons reported she saw Mary with a tall, mysterious man. They had both gotten lemonade at her tavern. Later that night, she heard screams coming from the woods. Why wouldn't she report this? She said she thought it was her son's. But then she found them. Again, why didn't she report this? Of course, she assumed it was an animal. Always just report the screams. In hindsight, it could have been Mary. Months went by and still nothing. Her grief-stricken fiancé couldn't handle losing Mary, and he overdosed committing suicide on the bench right where Mary died on October 7, 1841, right near Sybil's cave. He had a note that said the following, To the world, here I am on the very spot. God forgive me for my misspent life. How sad. He truly loved her. Edgar Allan Poe had heard about this while he was visiting his friend John Jacob Astor. Poe was into dark, sinister things, same, and this story caught his attention. Poe would write The Murder of Marie Roguet, the sequel to his first detective story. This story was based on the mysterious murder of Mary. He did change the name and the location. When the first portion of the story was released, new facts came to light, so Poe adjusted his second portion to reflect that. Poe wanted to solve this murder. The police hadn't made any arrests, and there was no new evidence. In October 1842, the woman who owned the tavern was accidentally shot by one of her sons. But was it really an accident? On her deathbed, she said she knew who the man may be. He was a young physician, and Mary died while getting an abortion done. Again, the coroner said she was not pregnant and that she was a virgin. Edgar Allan Poe even became a suspect at one point. See, Poe did know Mary, and he even had a crush on her. And when he found out she was engaged, he became extremely jealous. 
Mary's boss, Anderson, was also a suspect. Some say he was furious due to Mary turning down his advances. He died in 1881 in Paris. On his deathbed, he said he was being haunted by Mary. Does he have a guilty conscience? Mary's murder remains unsolved. Such a tragedy for such a young woman. So what are your theories? Do you think it was Poe? Or maybe Anderson? I don't think her boyfriend had anything to do with it. Do you think she might have died having an abortion? I mean, the coroner did say she was a virgin, so who knows? Sybil's cave, where Mary died, was shut down, but in 2007, the city built a new arch, and it is now open. You can visit the park located on Frank Sinatra Drive, that's so fucking New Jersey, in Hoboken. Walk the areas where a notorious unsolved murder had taken place. And this concludes my episode of Wicked Wanderers Podcast. Please rate and review, especially on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear them. And you can email me at wickedwandererspodcast at gmail. Pics of all the places mentioned will be posted on my Instagram at wicked underscore wanderers podcast. I do write, edit, and produce this podcast all by myself. If you wish to donate to the cause, you can do so at patreon.com slash wickedwanderers. You can do a general donation or you can join monthly. I have released a bonus episode so far. Links to where I found my information are in the show notes. And everybody, why don't we just try to do something nice for somebody else today? Just a small act of kindness. It doesn't have to be anything big. And as always, wander more and stay wicked. Uh-huh.